Hello, my name is Matthew, and uh, I, I'm a, a guest speaker here, which I understand is unusual. And I am actually uh, probably best known for the book I wrote. I, I was one of Jesus' disciples, and I, I, I got to write down what I experienced, what I heard, what I recorded on my notepad when Jesus was teaching. Uh, and I, I got a, a message saying that the uh, startup team at Trinity Chippenham were having a hard time getting people to give testimonies, and so I said, I'd be happy to give my testimony, and so here I am. Uh, I, I suppose you might think that because I was involved with Jesus and I got to do what, you know, the, the mission that Jesus had, and I got to be a part of those first years, I mean, we saw some amazing things. I suppose you'd think that I am somebody special, but I'm not. I was there with, with Jesus. I was there when Jesus died. I was there when Jesus rose from the dead. And then I was there as the church began, as the Spirit came, and as the message spread. And it was myself and my friends that were the ones taking the message out as it spread through Judea and Samaria and Galilee and Perea and uh, Trachonitis and Decapolis and into Europe as well as Asia and Africa. And I was there in those years. And it was an amazing thing. It was an incredible thing to be able to see this transformation, this revolution moving forward. And, and amazingly, since that time, or so I've been told, people like me have become a focus in windows of all things, in pictures, as if we were something special, but we weren't. I, I want to tell you my testimony. I want to tell you what it was like for me. I, I, there's a lot of things I could tell you. We could be here all day, but, but they said, keep it focused. So I'm going to focus in on the time when I met Jesus. I was told to tell you this, and I don't quite understand this numbering system, but if you have uh, one of these scroll things called a Bible, uh, that if you look up Mark uh, chapter 2, verse 13 through to 22, that's the story I'm telling you. Now, I don't know why you're using Mark's book instead of Matthew, but I'll leave that for another day. Now, here, here's the thing. To understand what happened in those, those verses on that day when I met Jesus, I need to tell you a little bit about the background. I was raised in a very Jewish home. My parents were Jewish. There's a, a lot that apparently is not known about my life, so I'm not going to give it away this morning. But I was raised in a Jewish home, and I loved the Scriptures. I knew the Scriptures. I, I was a very Jewish, Jewish boy. But I always kind of struggled with it. I, th there were the rules. There were the guidelines. There were the instructions. There was the code. There was the law. And, and I, I, sort of, I sort of tried to live up to it, but at the same time found that I struggled. I found that on the inside, there wasn't a reality to match what was going on on the outside. I was well-educated, and eventually I had this tension of, of what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to put my energy? And by that stage, I was really feeling a distance from the God of the Old Testament. And so I did something that was unthinkable to my family. I became a tax collector. Now, you've probably heard stories about Zacchaeus, and uh, he was an interesting chap, but he was a, a tax collector for the Romans. I wasn't working for the Romans. I was working for the, the local government. I lived in Galilee, and in Galilee, we, it was a tetrarchy, which means the kingdom was divided into four, and one quarter was under the rule of, of uh, one of the Herods. And, and I was working for him, essentially, sort of a mid-level government official, 
I got to sit in my booth and uh, I'd keep my ear to the ground. I'd listen to hear what was going on. I'd listen to the rumors. I'd listen to all the latest on the grapevine because basically my job was to make sure that people were paying their taxes. And so I'd sit there in my booth and people would come past and I'd call them over and they'd make, you know, I'd make sure they paid their duties and their customs and so on. And if I'm honest, I took some extra along the way and, and I was living pretty well. I wasn't living well by Jewish standards. I was considered a bit of an outcast to the Jews, but I kind of given up on that stuff. I mean, inside there was still a, a, bit, of a, a bit of an interest in that, but, but really I was living for me. And so I, I did my job. I collected the money and I uh, had a nice house. And honestly, I just kind of saved the money so I could spend the money. I knew I had a party. I had friends, uh, not the kind of friends that I was trained to hang out with, you know, growing up. But I had friends, and we would get together, and we would party. Ooh, we would party, and we would celebrate, and we would drink, and we would talk, and we would tell stories, and we would laugh, and we'd make so much noise. The neighbors would always make comments. That was my life. Work, earn money, and then spend it. And it was, it was okay. I mean, it was my life. I, it, I, was, I said my name was Matthew. Actually, I was known as Levi. That was kind of a nickname. There's lots of Matthews around. And so I was, a, I was called Levi. I think some people thought I was from the tribe of Levi, but probably because I made comments. You know, I, I had this kind of Jewish heritage that, that I sort of suppressed, but every now and again, I'd just come out and quote some of the Old Testament, you know, some of the prophets or some of the, 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 uh, the books of Moses. i just quote it. And so all these as we were known, sinners, tax collectors and sinners, all my friends, they kind of mocked me for that. Like, why are you quoting that stuff? And I'd make a joke and we'd move on. But I got the nickname, Levi. And so call me Levi if you like. Either way is fine. Well, one day, the day that I met Jesus, I was sitting in my booth and I was uh, doing what I always did. I was listening and I was watching and I was making sure I didn't miss an opportunity to take some money where I could. And everyone was buzzing about this Jesus. Jesus is a common name, but this was a particular Jesus. It was Jesus from Nazareth. He was some sort of rabbi. That's what I heard. He was a rabbi who, when he taught, it was unlike anything you'd ever heard. And when he came across somebody who was uh, diseased in some way, he could heal them just by saying the word. He apparently touched a leper. I mean, that's bizarre. And the leper got clean. He didn't get leprosy. And so all these rumors were going around. And, and when he came to people that had demons possessing them, he'd just deal with the demons as if it was nothing. And so I was aware of Jesus. But that particular day, he came past me. And he stopped and he looked at me. And, and it's really hard for me to tell you or to put it into words exactly what it was like. But when his eyes locked with mine, it was as if he could see right the way through to the very center of who I am. It was like I was laid bare before him. There was this, this sort of intensity, this strength, a purity, a holiness like I'd never seen before. And yet at the same time, there was a warmth. There was a compassion. I didn't feel frightened or scared. I just felt completely open and yet drawn to him. And as he looked at me, he said two words. Two words that changed my life forever. He said, follow me. I suppose one of your preachers has probably explained the whole follow me thing, that in our culture, it was a little bit different probably to what you would understand. But a disciple of a rabbi was a follower. 
And to be a follower of a rabbi, you had to be a very good student. And so uh, when you're studying as a young man, you'd study, you'd take notes, you'd listen carefully, you'd answer all the questions. And if you were the brightest and the best and you led the cleanest life, then you could approach your rabbi and say, please, can I become your follower? It's a real honor. It was unheard of for a rabbi to come to you and to say to, especially someone like me, follow me. And when he said that, I was, something just completely shifted within me. Something completely changed. And, and I just stood up. This, this career that I had built my life around, I just stood up and I left it. I took my notepad and pen because that was kind of a habit. You can't go anywhere without one of those. But I left everything else and I followed him. And you know what? One of the lessons that I learned, and I'm so glad I learned it right at the start, is that life change begins with a calling. Life change doesn't come from trying to put yourself right, trying to fix yourself, trying to you know, modify your behavior or live up to some standard. That doesn't work. I tried that. Believe me, I had. Between working and partying, I'd have these moments where I felt like, this is not what I'm supposed to be. This is not what I'm supposed to do. And I try to fix it, and I couldn't fix myself. Maybe you know what that's like. You think, I'll never do that again, and then you do it again. And you think that the onus is on you to to kind of get things together and make things right. Actually, it doesn't work that way. Life change begins with a call. It begins with Jesus coming to you and drawing you to follow him. And and I can tell you, I had the experience of that face-to-face. But for years, I watched people who never saw Jesus being drawn by Jesus. It's it's a weird thing. Maybe you've experienced that you're living your life, you're doing your thing, you're you're having your career, you're doing your parties, whatever your life's all about. And suddenly it's like something just rearranges on the inside. And it's like Jesus becomes the priority. And you don't know why. It's not a decision you make or a choice you make. It just sort of happens that suddenly this person becomes important and other things just kind of lose their importance. That's how it begins. That's where life change comes from. It's from Jesus calling you to follow him. It's the greatest privilege. I left my stuff and I followed him. And that means that I, 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 I walked with him. I was with him where he was. I was. I watched how he functioned. I thought, this is great. I'm going to be a follower of this rabbi. I thought, I can't wait for lessons to begin. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. I don't know what was going through my mind, but that day I did what I just kind of naturally did. I called my friends together and we had a party. And I I thought, I don't know honestly what I thought. I don't know if I was thinking like this is the end of my old life. Let's just have one last fling or whether I, I think it was more that I just kind of wanted people to know what had happened. But the weirdest thing happened. I walk into my house and, and make arrangements for a party and then Jesus walked in. And, and then there was this crowd of people, the tax collectors, all my colleagues and friends, and, and the sinners, which is a label covering all sorts of people, including, well, there, there was a lot of people. And we were there, and we were drinking, and we were reclining at the table, and we were laughing, and we were joking, and we were having a great time, and Jesus was there, right in the middle of it. He wasn't awkward. He wasn't feeling kind of like, what's going on here? He was completely there. And it... I suppose initially it didn't strike me as weird until I heard people talking about it. 
suddenly I realized, yeah, this is completely weird. What is he doing? Why is he here? There was uh, Pharisees and scribes, you know, the religious elite. They were around, and they, they kind of followed Jesus because he was the, the kind of the center of the rumor mill. Everything was about him. So they were watching. And when he walked into that party, they started talking. It was awkward. There he was with tax collectors, sinners, uh, ladies, shall we say. And, and there he was. And, and they said, why is it that he eats with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I should just explain that in our culture, eating together is so huge. The startup team took me to McDonald's. I can tell it's not that important to you. So let me tell you, in our culture, eating together is a big deal. When you eat together, you, you slow down and you talk and you laugh and, and you just kind of connect, you know? Friendships are formed. Lives are changed. Eating together, it's, it's what holds society together. And it's what holds society apart if there are rules governing who you eat with. Now, I was kind of a foot on both sides of the fence because with my Jewish background, I could totally understand why we had all the rules that we had. The dietary rules and the who you eat with rules and the when you eat rules and all of that stuff. I could see that and I could understand that. But because I was a tax collector, I never got to be a part of normal kind of Jewish life because they wouldn't associate with me. So I had my own friends, my own contacts. But we'd have our own thing. They were Jews, but, you know, Jews. (laughs) We were not really law-keeping Jews. And and we'd eat together and, and we would bond with each other. We'd connect with each other. And and with my kind of Jewish hat on, I would say this. I would say that actually all those rules were a good thing. God gave them to Israel because he loved Israel. God knew that if they were to marry with people that worshipped other gods, or even if they were just to eat with people who worshipped other gods, then they would be drawn away. There was all this teaching in in the scriptures about clean and unclean. And when you put clean and unclean together... It's not the clean that's the contagious bit. It's the unclean, right? When clean and unclean are in the same place, everything comes away unclean. Holy and unholy, it's all unholy. It was clear and it was simple and it made sense and it protected us. It stopped the Jewish people from fellowshipping with and becoming drawn away by the pagans. It's a good thing. And so here's Jesus at my party. There was Jesus telling stories. There was Jesus laughing at my jokes. There was Jesus right in the center of it. And the religious Jewish people were looking at that, pulling their hair out, saying, what is going on? Why is he eating with sinners? That's a good question. It made me stop and think, yeah, hang on. Why is he doing that? Surely he's going to be infected with something. Surely he's going to go away with that purity that had pierced my heart, somehow tarnished. You know what I discovered? I discovered that with Jesus, his purity, his holiness, his goodness is so powerful. It's so, uh, it so emanates out from who he is that he can be around the worst of people and he marks them, they don't mark him. When he, when he touched the leper, he didn't become unclean. The leper became clean. This was a whole new way of thinking about things. I'd never in my life considered that even possible. 
You know how Jesus responded? When he heard them asking, why is it that you're, you're eating with tax collectors and sinners? He, he said something amazing. He said, it's not the, the well who need a physician, it's the sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. When he said that, I, I just, it's like the, the bell started ringing in my head. I said, that's what's going on here. He didn't come for people who think they've got it all together. He came for people who knew they didn't, like me. He came for people who were broken, people who had failed, people who had fallen short of their own standards, let alone God's. He'd come for people like us. And my goodness, he certainly knew how to call you. When he calls, it transforms you. It's like his purity and his holiness, it's infectious. Even there, even that day at that party, I already found myself kind of shifting in, in, in my response to things. There were comments that were made, and I kind of went, oh, you can't say that. There were jokes that were cracked, and I said, oh, that doesn't seem right. His values were becoming my values. I was changing on the inside, and it wasn't me trying to change myself. It was just being with him. Being with Jesus changes you. I suppose that raises a question, and it was a question back in our day, and I'm sure it's still a question today. How do we put together two apparently contradictory ideas? You see, on the one hand, and this is true for Christians just as it was true for Jews, the the Word of God calls us to be separate from the world, right? There's supposed to be a separation, a distinction between us and the world. But at the same time, Jesus was a friend of sinners, How do we put those two together? I don't know about you, but back in the early years, what would often happen was this. People would become followers of Jesus. And their lives would be changed and they would start to gather together with other Jesus followers. And and it would be an exciting thing. but, But over time, you'd find people kind of sliding back into a bit of a religiousness into a bit of a kind of old school version, sort of like a Jewish version of Christianity. And people would would find themselves kind of setting up rules and standards and, and making sure that they were distinct and separate and making sure that they never got around people that might infect them, that might be contagiously unholy. And as I watched that and as I saw that in those years, I'd always think back to the first day when Jesus called me. That day, he was right there in the party with my friends. But it wasn't him that walked away changed. It was people like me. You see, Jesus takes the rules, the laws, the code, the the, the kind of the whole structural building of of religiousness that we make up and that we take God's rules, which are good rules, but then we add to them. And he takes all of that and it's like he drops a great big fishing boat on it and it just just disintegrates. It's like, it's, it's, it's new now. It's a whole new way. That's something for us to think about and something for you to wrestle with as you move forward as a new church. How are you going to deal with this tension? of wanting to be close to Jesus and yet somehow needing to be reaching the world. I tell you, actually, there's no tension there. When Jesus says, follow me, you know what that means? It means that you get close to Jesus and then you follow him. And you might say, oh, yeah, follow, like, you know, do what he does and speak like he speaks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, all of that. 
but also follow. Walk where he walks. Hang out where he hangs out. And where does Jesus hang out? I'll tell you. He hangs out at houses like mine with sinners, with tax collectors, with people whose reputation is disgusting, with people whose lives would make your skin crawl if you knew what was going on. That's where Jesus goes. And if we are going to be followers of Jesus, it means going with him to the dirty, to the unholy, to the kind of people that feel like there's no hope for them. Like anything religious, anything godly is completely separate from them. You go to them. Because if you're close to Jesus, you'll find that the Jesus holiness, the Jesus clean, it rubs off on others. It infects others. It's not easy though, is it? It's not comfortable. I could sense that. I could see that even in my own life, and I used to be one of those people. And yet being a follower of Jesus means following Jesus even into those dark places. And as long as you're close to him, it's okay. Now you go there on your own, leave Jesus out of it, and you're in trouble. Believe me, we've got to take it seriously that this world can absolutely corrupt us. And that's why we've got to stay close to Jesus. We were there feasting. And, and, and it was, to, even if I do say so myself, it was a good feast. And we had good wine and we had good food and it was good music and the whole thing was great. Now, that created a stir. It wasn't long before people were asking questions because the religious people, the Pharisees, even the disciples of John the Baptist, they were uh, fasting. They, they were, you know, choosing not to eat in order to pray. So that doesn't just mean, you know, don't eat for five minutes. That means... Don't, you know, prepare the food. Don't cook the food. Don't do all that work. I mean, eating's a big deal in my culture. None of this fast food weirdness. But, but, you know, instead of doing all of that, take the time praying. Look somber. Plead with God. And the Pharisees were quite good at telling us why they did that. Even though the Bible, the scriptures only spoke about one day a year required fast, they did it twice a week, Monday, Thursday, every week. And they made a big deal and a big show out of it. And they wanted everyone to know how how religious they were and how serious they were. And, And so they asked the question. They said, hey, why is it your disciples don't fast when, you know, the others do? Now, at this point, there was uh, Simon and Andrew, James and John. They were fishermen. Fishermen, they, they do okay at partying. And then there was me. I brought my skills. I mean, we were partying. Like, we, were, we were enjoying ourselves. And these people were watching us and were saying, what's going on there? And, and Jesus' response was amazing to me. It just blew me away because when they asked the question, you know what, what I felt? I kind of felt guilty. I kind of felt like, oh, yes, you're right. We should be fasting. And then Jesus said this thing. He said, he said do, the, do the people fast when the bridegroom is there or do they celebrate? But when the bridegroom is present, there's, there's a celebration going on. Now, well, there is going to be a time when the bridegroom's taken away and then they're going to fast. But when the bridegroom's there, there's life, there's joy, there's celebration, there's feasting, not fasting. And as he said that, I kind of looked around and I was like, the bridegroom, duh, it's it's Jesus. He's the important one. And when he's there, there's kind of a joy that bubbles up. And I saw that over the years, even after he returned to heaven. I saw that in people that truly knew him, that there was 
not all the time. You know, sadnesses happen, tough times come, there's times of grief, times of loss. I, I know that. But there's kind of a, there's kind of a, a joy and a life that, that kind of bubbles up from the heart. If, if you know Jesus and if you're with Jesus, then there's sort of a whistle on your lips. You know, there's a song on your tongue. There's a skip in your step because it's different. It's not, it's not that I've got to make myself religious. I know the bridegroom. Now, there were times where we absolutely fasted. When he was taken away, when he was crucified and the, laid in the tomb, we didn't eat. All we could do was pray and weep. And there have been other times where, where the situation was so serious, where the challenges we were facing were so big that, that we just, just stopped doing other things because we couldn't help but pray and fast. That's very different from being caught up in this kind of religious, we must fast and we must look serious stuff. That's nothing to do with Jesus. That's religion. And Jesus really made that clear with his comment that day. Just two little comments, two little throwaway lines, but they marked me. He he said, you've got a garment and there's a hole in it. Would you cut a piece of new cloth and and make it just the right size and sew it into that garment? And we all said, don't be stupid. Of course you wouldn't. As soon as it gets wet, it's going to shrink, right? And then it's going to rip. That makes it even worse. Jesus said, yeah, that's right. He said, okay, what about wineskins? You know what wineskins are? Okay, so let me try to explain wineskins. Wineskins are like leather bottles. Okay, you take this, this leather kind of container and you put wine in it and then you close it and just kind of hang it on the wall. And over time, it, the fermenting continues. And then as it ferments, it releases some gas and the, the, the wine skin kind of goes like that. And then you go, oh, that's ready. And then you take it down, you have a party, right? That's a wine skin. It's nice. It shows you when it's ready to drink. And so Jesus said, do you take a wine skin and then after you've drunk the wine, and I'm going, yep, yep, I know what that's like. Then put new wine in it. <laughs> we all said, don't be stupid. Of course you wouldn't. Why would you do that? That's crazy. Because you put new wine in an old wine skin. Then when the gas comes out and it expands, it just makes a mess on the floor. What a waste. You don't want to waste wine. Of course not, Jesus. And Jesus looked at us and gave us one of those knowing looks. And he said, new wine, new wine skins. Suddenly I realized That's exactly what he's been showing us. That's exactly what's going on here. He's not taking Judaism and kind of just making a little adjustment. He's not taking our human religiousness and making it just a little bit better. He's smashing it. And he's saying, no, there's something new. There's something completely new going on here. I understand that none of you are Jewish. That's okay. If you read the book I wrote, I made a big deal out of that because that really struck me with Jesus, that he really wanted people from all the nations to be reached with the message of the good news of the gospel, right? So I made a big thing out of that. So you're not Jewish. Don't go Jewish on me, all right? Don't start going all religious. Don't start trying to be somber and, you know, beating yourself up and adding loads of rules and stuff. If you've got the groom, you've got it all. If you, if you know Jesus, if you're in a relationship with Jesus, stay close to him and you'll find that your clean becomes infectious to the unclean. 
you'll find that your holiness and your purity has a kind of spreading nature to it that other people will be marked by. As long as you stay close to Jesus. Because it's all new. And there's no hope in religiousness. And there's no solution in trying harder. It's all about knowing him. Never forget when we were up in Galilee three years later when he said to us, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then that last line, I hope you haven't missed it. Lo, get this. I am with you always to the very end of the age. As you move forward, as you move to a stage in the experience of this church where you're going to be going to them, when you're going to be reaching out to people who are living lives like I used to live, you're not going alone. You're going with Jesus. You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's that Jesus calls us, he calls you to come follow me. To be close to Jesus and then to go with Jesus. And as we are both close to Jesus and going with Jesus, we will find ourselves talking to people, meeting with people, interacting with people that in ourselves we'd avoid like the plague. But those are exactly the kind of people that Jesus loves to reach. Let me ask you, just think about that as I wrap up. If I've been called by Jesus, firstly, am I close to him? Am I close so that his values becoming my values, what he loves is becoming what I love? Am I close to him so that I find myself kind of going, oh, gross, the things that I used to think, oh, that sounds good. Is he changing me because I'm close to him? And then secondly, am I prepared to go with him where he goes? Am I prepared to reach the people? Go to the places, interact with the layers of society, get stuck into the, the lives of people whose lives are a mess. Am I prepared to go there? Because that's where he goes. And he's called you and he's called me to follow him. It's a privilege. But it's not easy. The tendency that you'll find in yourself if you're anything like me and if you're anything like the people I watched for years, the tendency you'll find is to pull back and say, no, I can't go there. No, I can't do that. I need to be more religious. Don't. Be more with Jesus. Be close to him. And then dare to go where he goes. To talk to the people he talks to. To join him on his mission. And you're, I guarantee it, you will have the most exciting years you have ever known in this church. As you see the clean power of Jesus is clean reaching out into the dirtiness of this world. It's an amazing thing. And I would hate you to miss out on that because you think that maybe your job is to be religious. Don't. Be with Jesus. Don't fall back into old religion because that's old wineskins and that's done. Don't fall back into old patterns and old ways and old values. That's finished now. There's something fresh happening. And it's all about Jesus. And that look that he gives to a sinner that you're dirty, I'm clean, but I love you. And I'm going to make it possible for you to be in relationship with my father.
just as we finish, let's just pause for a few moments and ask ourselves those two questions. Firstly, am I close to Jesus so that it's showing in my life, so that it's bubbling up from inside? And secondly, am I prepared, are we prepared to go where he goes? Am I prepared to follow him in the days, weeks, months ahead as he reaches out to people in this town, in this world, at this time? It's new wine and it's good wine and it's fresh wineskins too.